Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm on episode 34 of the Noel Kassler podcast. I'm back here with my main man, Jumping Jimmy Kennedy, to break down the week's events and talk <laughs> about uh, whatever the heck we want to talk about. And we appreciate you guys listening. You got uh, some loyal listeners out there, Jimmy. They said hi to you last time I did a show, and I'm hoping to meet some more of them. Uh, well, I'm about three weeks here at the finest theater in Norwalk, the Wall Street Theater, which is in downtown Norwalk, Connecticut. It's a beautiful theater. It's a beautiful time of year. It's going to be a great night. It's a Thursday night, November 18th. I'm looking forward to the show. I'm working really hard on the show right now. I always try to think of every show as like, it's like a play to me. You know, that's kind of how I prepare because I went to drama school you know, so uh, that's my background, you know, so yeah. I write it and rewrite it. And I also leave a lot of room to sort of improvise and deal with what's going on in the moment. And, you know, that's where your strength usually comes from. You got to, as Oprah would say, or somebody said it, anything I don't know who said, I just say Oprah said it, but you got <laughs> you got to leave room for God to walk through the room. Do you know what I'm saying? You can over rehearse stuff and, and you got to always be open to the moment, you know, and on stage, I've often made the mistake, especially in stand up, because when you're starting out, it's like, oh, it's so hard. And, you know, you just don't ever deviate. Don't try a new joke at the beginning. You know, other comics will give you all these like, <laughs> rules to live by and fill you with fear. And you listen to them and then you realize, you know what, you know, there's probably something funnier I can say right now. And sometimes you'll be like, I'm not going to say that because it's not in the script. So that's a long way of saying I don't always stick to the script. I certainly don't stick to the script on this podcast. That's not what it's about. It's about a freewheeling conversation. And we we welcome you guys to jump in, too. You know, if there's things you want me to talk about or you want Jimmy to talk about, hit us up in the DMs and let us know and we'll address it. Any questions or anything, because there's a lot out there to decipher, you know, but uh with that being said, let's get into it this week. How are you doing, first of all, Jimmy? You did your own podcast yesterday? Yeah, I'm doing really good, man. Talked with a college buddy of mine, Braylon Morgan, who uh, currently works at CBS4 and Fox 59, uh, two affiliates here in Indy uh, as a master control guy. You need those folks to keep the station running. Uh, but he also works as a model uh, on the side, very handsome guy. Uh, good to have somebody with a face for TV on the show for a change uh, this week, but uh, really cool to talk with him. He's one of the most authentic guys I know. He came out as a uh, bi in college and talked about that experience. And, you know, coming out as bi in Indiana is different than other places because um, he had to navigate the, the culture that we have here in the state. But um, one of the strongest and most talented guys I know. So um, if you go to jbkonair.com, you can, um, listen to the episode well that sounds good and he's a he's an african-american gentleman too right yes sir yeah so um you know he had to navigate uh that whole thing of trying to identify himself you know and where we went to school und it's you know about 90 percent white so he was the minority among the majority uh which was primarily white and um you know, you have to navigate that, unfortunately, uh, especially in the Midwest. Um, but we had a good education and he's he's bound for success. I'm sure yeah, of that it looks like it. And that's why I mentioned it. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't mention it otherwise. But like so he's a black guy who came out as, you know, bisexual. Like that's just like 
God gave him all the courage. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and that's in, in, in Indiana is the point. And that's not an easy thing to do in Harlem, you know? No. And like no. to do it in Indiana, you know, where you know, like people are, you know, kind of against you anyway. I'm not saying that to indict Indiana. Indiana, we just know it's kind of a hotbed of, of racism and KKK and all, all the bad stuff, you know, as is much of America. I'm not saying that to be funny. Like you can look it yeah. up to me. KKK, had, you know, is a hotbed of, of support in Indiana. And, uh, you know, we're in a country that's moving backwards. That's what's so pathetic is that this should, stuff shouldn't even be an issue anymore, you know? And it felt like for so long, at least in the issue of gay rights, LBGTQ rights, we'd moved, you know, leaps and bounds. You know, I grew up with a mom who was closeted, who didn't come out until I was in my teens. So I grew up around, you know, lots of gay men and lesbian women at a time where like you had to hide in the shadows. You know, we would go out to San Francisco in the summer and her friends were all in the Castro district, which, you know, this is the era of Harvey Milk and stuff. And they'd go up into like Marin County on the weekends and have these parties. We'd go up and like stay at this guy had a big house up there. And even then, you know, even in the 70s, San Francisco, where you had an openly gay mayor, Harvey Milk, who was assassinated or he wasn't. I don't know if he was the mayor, you know. An elected official. Right. He might have been the mayor. We don't have a fact checker, guys, and I hate making mistakes because I'm going to hear about it, but I don't have the ability to fact check in real time. But Harvey Milk was, you know, a leading figure and a a, a civil servant who was murdered by some bigot. And that was at the time the most openly free city for gay men and women in the country. And it was still difficult. So you thought at least during the Obama years and gay marriage and all this stuff and equality being passed that we were, it was the one issue we were moving past, you know, and the fact that like bigotry, homophobia, bullying, racism, all these things became the coin of the realm for the right wing America, Americans now is, is just disgusting. And I'm going to try to not get in a rant this week. You know, it's hard not to, you know, there's a lot of bad news. You know, some people, a guy I know passed away, I heard right before this show, Peter Scolari. He was a wonderful actor. I knew him personally for about the last 15 or 16 years. He helped me out a lot in my life. And whenever I, I didn't know him super well, but whenever I saw him, he'd be like, hey, Noel, you know, how are you? Like, just such an enthusiastic, cool guy, brilliant actor, great stage actor, great comedic actor. He was, he was before your time, Jimmy. He was on a show called Bosom Buddies, which is what made Tom Hanks famous. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really great show. And then, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin is somebody I've also known for a long time. And, you know, he was involved in a tragic, tragic incident yesterday in New Mexico filming a movie. And the, a brilliant cinematographer was had her life taken from her because oh, he, you know, they were using a gun, prop gun that had a bullet in it. And it, it, kill, it hit her and killed her and hit the director. And, you know, that's probably going to be the topic of a lot of debate. And it sucks. You know, it's a tragedy. So I send my thoughts and prayers to those people. I'll hold my comments. You know, I wish every film didn't have like gunplay in it. Like I almost wish we moved past like having violence in so many movies, you know, but if guns are going to be used and this is a Western, so you're going to have a gun in it, but like every movie has guns. It's crazy. Like all of it's, this is now the third time we've had one of these issues. There was, you know, Brandon Lee and there was a guy named Eric in 19 in the 80s, who was killed by playing Russian roulette with a prop gun. You know, it's dangerous stuff. But 
maybe someday we can look past like why why are we also so attracted to violence like why does every show now have to have this horrific violence in it some of them don't but uh so much of it does and that's a that's a different topic you know Eckhart Tolle talks about that stuff you know it's like your pain body watches that like a really healthy human doesn't want to see really graphic like recreations of violence you know it hurts you even if you think you doesn't it hurts your psyche I was watching this great movie the other night or I thought it was pretty good about it was about a mobster and uh Meyer Lansky who invented like Vegas he was the guy who kind of made gambling a massive thing and he actually had a son who had cerebral palsy and he was loyal to his son his whole life and that's a pretty strong characterization in the movie too so it was this great drama obviously it's the mobster guys you know so that you know his partner was Bugsy Siegel who was a notorious murderer in the mob so you're gonna have violence right to tell this story but you can tell it with actually without actually showing the person getting shot in the head, you know, and all the gore and stuff. And for some reason that just like is such a part of everything now because special effects can do it so well. And I think people kid themselves and be like, well, we're showing the reality of violence. So we're not sugarcoating it. Like, no, you're not. It's just like porn. It's like violence porn. You know what I mean? And, and like, it's a way to sell it to a streaming network. You know, half the reason Game of Thrones was so popular was all this sexualized violence that was on the show and it's just i wish you know there's other things to look at you know why do we just have to have so many fucking bullets in our movies when we're in a culture that has mass shootings all the time you know there's one in san diego last night didn't even make the news and uh anyway so you know my thoughts and prayers to all those people peter was a guy who you know just a really helpful guy. He lived on the West side. I think he would come over to the East side, you know, and I would see him at this place where I see people, you know, that are trying to better their lives. And he was always somebody who was going to stick out his hand and, and offer his help. And that's what we need to do. You know, we need to be a, a culture that, that helps people now, you know, and, and as this news broke, of this horrible incident in New Mexico, obviously there probably isn't a bigger figurehead of liberalism an enemy of the right on Twitter than Alec Baldwin. Like they just hate him more than anybody else. And oftentimes he can be his own worst enemy in certain you know, things. I admire, I've known Alec for a while, you know, and I admire him greatly in many ways. He's a guy who's always doing something. Like he'll be doing a community play out in like the Hamptons at the same time he's doing a film at the same time he's having his eighth baby with his second wife who's a you know a 30 year old yoga teacher who's pretending to be Spanish. Like he gets in stuff and like I cannot believe this. But he's a wildly entertaining guy, you know, who who's like everyone else. You know, he's got his flaws and stuff. But it's a tragic situation. And, and this guy JD Vance who's like a poor man's Rick Bragg. I don't think you probably know who Rick Bragg is, but he <laughs> was know. a great writer. Yeah, he's a wonderful writer. He used to write for the New York Times and fell into his own kind of controversy. Now he's down in New Orleans. But he wrote a book called All Over But the Shouting, which is one of the great memoirs about growing up poor in the South. It's a wonderful book. It came out about 20 years ago. And J.D. Vance is a guy who basically ripped that off and wrote a book called Hillbilly Elegy. And they made a Netflix movie out of it with some A-list actresses and Ron Howard directing it. Like You couldn't get a better pedigree. And now makes his whole thing about attacking Hollywood and liberals. You know, and he went to Yale Law School and clerked for like Kavanaugh. <laughs> And the guy's oh, wow. pretending to be some rube, you know, and he's like hanging out at the Yale Club in New York City. But now he's in Ohio 
and he's running for Congress there. And he's like, you know, he's got a beard. So like the other day, <laughs> masculinity is good, you know, and he's this paunchy guy. He, he, like he couldn't get through a freaking Zumba class or whatever. You know <laughs> what I mean? But, and it's part of what we're always talking about. Like toxic masculinity has become a branding thing. You can't buy toughness. You know, that's the illusion they're selling these guys. If you could just be a man by growing a beard, right? Like, right. you know, everybody would be a man. Growing a beard doesn't make you a man. Buying a big pickup truck to look tough doesn't make you a man. Being a man is helping out others that are less fortunate than you. It's showing some vulnerability. It's taking care of your community and your family. You know, it's keeping your mouth shut when somebody else is suffering, even if they're on the other side of the political divide. But this J.D. Vance guy tweets out like, oh, let Trump back on Twitter so we can see some, you know, Alec Baldwin tweets. You know, that's what he said on Twitter today, because he wants, you know, because Trump has got no class and would be going, you know, Alec is like his like arch rival, you know, not just because of the impression, because they know each other. Alec knows Trump's number. These are from they're from the same world. So that kind of trolling is what the Republican Party does now. You know, let's just be mean and spiteful. And he was doing that tweet to sort of get Trump's attention, right? Hoping somebody will show the boss the tweet and J.D. Peckerwood, as I call him, you know, is defending him, right? And it's just being a jerk because you know that's going to appeal to your base. And, and that's a really tragic thing that that's where we're, we're at. Marjorie Taylor Greene went and like tried to Hector Liz Cheney on the floor of the Senate yesterday after the January 6th commission hearing and Jamie Raskin and tried to pick a fight with them. And was like, when are you going to investigate BLM and stuff? And Liz Cheney was basically like, shut up, bitch. Don't you have space lasers to worry about? You know, and as I've said all the time, she's unwell. That is not going to end well. The Marjorie Taylor Greene thing will not end well. She will be in a court someday facing criminal charges and she will claim mental unfitness. I guarantee you she mm. will have a lawyer representing her someday that will say she was flipped. Her, her mental problems were exacerbated by MAGA and Trump, and she's innocent of bombing the Capitol or whatever the hell she did. And I still say she bombed the Capitol, you know, and that, that's for the FBI to decide. But uh it's bad news. You know, it, it's crazy. Like we have a, an insane, an insane bunch of, oh, look, you got your t-shirt on. It's an insane bunch of uh, people that, that are criminally insane, basically running around with positions of government. You know, and the thing that worries me, I know that there's security measures taken. I, I have a family member who was part of the secret service and is still actively training newer agents. Okay. But People like Marjorie Taylor Greene make me worry about like the State of the Union and like Louis Gohmert bringing a gun. You know, like you don't need members of Congress. That shouldn't even be on your radar, having to worry about members of Congress carrying weapons into a place of government. You know, but that's the kind of precautions we're having to take. Like, and, you know, the Republicans have shown repeatedly that they're not for this infrastructure bill. And we've said before, they're going more and more toward, you know, an authoritarian party, and that's where they are. But what are they for? Are they for anything? That would be my question to the MAGA folks. Like, they're not for anything besides the continuing of the chaos. And that's... Well, 
Yeah, you would think at some point they would wake up to that. I don't know. They, well, they are for something, Jimmy. The guys that do the legislating don't write legislation, right? Jim Jordan has never wrote le legislation. They're there to be disruptors, but they're there for the tax cuts, right? They're there for the Coke industries and your Mercers and all your other people who want to do business as usual and don't want the majority of white America to figure out they're getting played by their corporate masters. So they're there to sort of be a distraction. They're there to walk into a store and fall down on the floor and start flopping around with foam coming out of their mouth. So everybody runs over and goes, look, they're having a seizure while the real right. ro robbers go behind the counter and empty out the register, right? That's what Trumpism is, okay? Trump's a big clown for a reason. Because so you're not looking at what's behind Trump and who's really making the money, right? So that's what they're there for. It's just not, legislating as as we've come to know it you know that's gone out of the window and you're correct in saying that mitch mcconnell these guys don't pass laws anymore they just obstruct stuff they prevent judges from getting on the bench and then when they get a little opening they put some more corrupt guys on the bench you know neil gorsuch his high school yearbook photo came out the other day he was quoting henry kissinger about breaking the law like <laughs> these guys you know they you couldn't get a more deplorable group of men then Kavanaugh, J.D. Vance, who I said earlier, clerked for him. You know, it's just like those dweeby neo-Nazi schmucks you went to high school with. <laughs> that, that like, what was the Catholic school in Ohio since outside of Cincinnati? St. X? No, the one that got all in trouble for making fun of the Native American guy and stuff. Oh, I, I don't recall. Co Covington High School. It's like Covington High School graduated into the United <laughs> States Congress now. You know, that's where we're at. These entitled schmucky dudes. And I grew up around some of these guys. I know what these guys are like. Yeah. There's the New England bred version of them that, that sort of wear Nantucket vines, pants and nice sweaters and go to the golf course and use politer terms. But they'll support people like Trump and they'll support these these sort of conservative policies because they know, you know, granddaddy's trust fund is getting passed down to dad and it's going to be his someday and they don't want to pay capital gains taxes on it, right? So they're willing to live in an unfair world because it's skewed in their favor. And that's why people like A.O. Green, AC, or AOC rather, terrify them. That's why they're afraid of the future. Imagine living in fear, Jimmy. You're afraid of what tomorrow may bring because tomorrow may bring equality. Tomorrow, right? <laughs> right yeah tomorrow they might get educated in texas and find out we stole this state from the mexicans and wanted slavery so bad we wrote it into the charter the day we declared our independence okay texas is the most racist state of all of them and that's saying something <laughs> okay because mississippi and alabama and all these other states exist but texas has always been militant you know, in their white supremacy, as I discussed last week, you know, and they're, they're fighting tooth and nail to keep the truth from being taught. Teach it. That, right. That's the only way we get over it. We think you're going to get away with it. It'll just, that's the past and we can move on. We can't move on until we make good on our failures. You have to, a business that doesn't take an inventory and kids itself about the value of unsaleable goods is not a healthy business. Right. You do an inventory when you're running a business every year because you want to find out what's in the warehouse. You know, what's gone bad? What's out of date? What is just, you know, you can't keep writing that stuff off and thinking it's of value because it's not. You have to throw it out and deal with it. And we have to sort of do that with our history. We have to make amends to the people we've wronged. We can't just go on because it's not an equal playing field anymore. And now 
more than ever, they're going in the opposite direction. And, and they're hoping that the JD Vances, Brett Kavanaugh and all these other guys will let them get away with it. And sadly this week, they got another victory, right? They blocked the voting bill, voting rights bill. They blocked it. So now gerrymandering still exists. You'll still get little cartoon Dan Crenshaw, you know, with his cosplay and his eye patch, pretending like he's a hero, like helping people die in Texas during the pandemic, you know, hiding under his desk when the attacks come. That guy's not a fucking hero. I don't care if he was in a Navy SEAL. I'm not impressed. You know, that's the other thing. Everyone gets so impressed about going. I'm not impressed. So what? So what? I don't care if you served. What? You went to another country and killed a bunch of Muslims because a dickhead who owned an oil company told you to do it. I'm not saying that for all veterans. A lot of those are good kids that do it. Guys who end up in the elite forces often benefit because of white supremacy within the military. They don't give those same opportunities to African-American troops and minority troops. They keep it like an old boys network. Oh, you're an elite because you get better grades and stuff. And yeah, sure, they haze you for a week and you learn how to swim with a knife in your mouth and stuff. But so what? Doesn't make you a member of Congress when you're going to make these cartoon ads and jump out of airplanes and pretend to own libs and stuff because a guy like that wouldn't get elected on the merits. He wouldn't get elected without a gerrymandered district and a bunch of this same cosplay I'm talking about. So what they do is they say, hey, where do all the white people live with pickup trucks? Oh, they live around here, here, and here. So they draw a map and say, this is where all those guys are. If we have this guy run and say, he's a vet, he's got a flag, he's got a gun, they'll vote for him. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole strategy. That's how you got Jim Jordan. Guys allowed child molestation to happen on his watch. He's not going to get elected without a gerrymandered district. And now that's completely legal. And in Wisconsin, they went where, you know, which a real battleground state these days. They, it's going to be something like 20% of the white folks in Wisconsin are going to determine who they send to Congress now through their gerrymandering. Like it's insane. And you can't vote out inequality. Right. A lot of people just like, well, just show up and vote blue wave. You can't vote it out. Like when the house runs the game, the house always wins. Okay, you know, that's that's the mob thing. That's Meyer Lansky. You know, it's like the casino always wins. The house always wins. That's the GOP philosophy. Now we're going to control the voting maps and the districts. So we're always going to win. And even if we lose in these rare cases, now we control the state senators and the secretaries of state. Right. And they're just going to throw out results now. And that's what's going to be happening. We saw just a little bit, a harbinger of what's to come in this last election, you know, in this mess that was 2020. The next election is going to be a nightmare, Jimmy. You're going to be crying. You're going to be weeping watching the results on your TV there in Indianapolis in a year and a half. Well, you know, (laughs) we're we're dealing with a situation. You and I both have empathy. So, like, it hurts when progress isn't made when we know it can be made but there's forces outside of it that people just don't understand but i think what makes me really frustrated about the current gop is like it's just an indifference to learning and wanting to grow as a human being and you know i'm sorry to say white folks but like part of growing and part of growing up as a human being is going through some pain going through some adversity the aversion to pain that white people have primarily, the people that would vote for Trump, it's, it's remarkable. And it's why they vote for such a weak man, because they see themselves in his weakness, you know? So it's time to grow up. It's time to move on from this shit. Like, 
we're better than this. We just need to choose to do it. I know, but it's, you know, we need a whole re-education. We're not the generation that's going to see the change, Jimmy. You don't get that stink out of the fabric that easy. You're going to have to wring it out over several generations because it's like a cultural re-education we need on both sides. Yeah. You know, it's not just like everyone's a good guy, you know, the shades of gray and everything. And a lot of it is the culture we consume. You know, Alabama, Kay Ivey, the governor, was bragging about how CRT is never going to be taught there. She made it a law. That same state made yoga illegal, teaching yoga (laughs) in schools for like 20 years. (laughs) They just allowed it because they're like, that's Hinduism. You know, that's against our Christian values. It's yoga. You couldn't do anything better for your body than yoga. You know, and I'm not proselytizing for yoga here. I practiced yoga for like 12 years, changed my life. I haven't been to class in a year and a half since the pandemic. You know, I do yoga moves every day on my mats and stuff. I got yoga mats everywhere in my house. Anywhere you walk, there's a yoga mat within 10 feet and a guitar, right? Because I need them both, you know, to sort of align myself. But yoga is, was never going to hurt the kids of Alabama. Mountain Dew was going to hurt the kids of Alabama. Guns and daddy's closet were going to hurt, hurt them. <laughs> you know, right. poverty was going to hurt them, Right. Racism was going to hurt them. I'll let you speak in a second. Sorry. You know, like, but yoga wasn't going to hurt them, you know, and that's the kind of thing we need to teach. It's like prisons. We need to go into prisons and like teach yoga and bring therapy animals in there and heal these people. We just had, we just executed another mentally challenged guy yesterday. You know, that's two people that were like technically had the brain capacity of a child that our government has killed. In, in the last like two weeks. You know what I'm saying? That's not a Christian nation and I'm not excusing their cries, but like, this is insane. We've become numb to the suffering around us. You know, and it's like you said, we don't have empathy. What, what, did you, what were you going to say, Jimmy? If you're somebody that needs a religion on a daily basis, you know, how, however much you need it and it benefits you, I'm not talking to you, okay? When I say this, but like, you've talked about the difference between love and attachment right? And the importance of distinguishing those. I think a lot of folks that are currently Christians in this country are attached to their Christianity. They're attached to the images that are embedded in the Republican Party. That's what makes it so scary, right? It's nationalism and religion. My point is we need to detach ourselves from religion and just look at it as a different point of view. We've become attached to our customs. That's what I'm saying. And that the more we can just open our mind to, to different ideas, the better it's going to be. I know yeah. that's, that's kind of a general idea, but I've seen the attachment be ridiculous uh, with religion, especially. So. Well, that's what makes people take up arms in the name of their religion. There's a difference between religion and spirituality, Jimmy. Okay. Religion is dogma that's been handed down to you, usually by men trying to control others, other women, right? You know, like even the Catholic religion, like women didn't have equal rights. Christianity, like, uh, you know, we fought like they had like purges in the name of Christianity. You know what I mean? They killed people like crusades where they would just murder you because you're a heathen. We have wars fought all over Europe because of Christianity. Look at Ireland, Protestants and Catholics and stuff. And that's religion. Like you said, you get attached to it and it becomes this dogma. That's different than spirituality. Like when you get sober, they tell you to, you got to get rid of your, like your self-will 
will not make you stop drinking or using a substance, right? Like I can't stop drinking on my own as much as I want to. And I'll be like, this is really bad for me. If I take a drink, I'm going to keep drinking that. <laughs> I'm going to keep getting drunk, right? Until my life becomes really, really bad and unmanageable. And when you get decide you want help for that, you treat it with a spiritual approach. And what that means, Jimmy, is it means you pick a higher power and it could be anything. It could be your cat, right? It can be the room you're sitting in with other people that are seeking help, right? It can be a piece of cornbread. It doesn't matter what it is, okay? But it's not religion. And people trip up on that real often when they come, when they come into AA and stuff, they think like, well, I was raised Catholic and I don't know about that God stuff. Forget about God. Okay, like forget about God. All those religions essentially were saying the same thing and pointing towards the truth. It got co-opted by men that have a, a, you know, and women that have a desire to sort of like control people and forget about that. Throw that out the window and and just think about something beyond you. It can be a sunset. You know, it could be one of those bugs we're talking about every week of praying mantis and stuff. How can you look outside at nature and not be convinced of a higher plane, you know, of like some kind of wisdom beyond yourself that makes all this stuff work, you know, that makes those coincidences happen in your life where something comes about, you know, at just the right time when the butterfly shows up at your dad's memorial. You know it when you feel it in your heart, when you're in the presence of truth and love. And ultimately, that's what spirituality is it's love. And when you sort of surrender to that, it gives you a strength. And don't let anybody tell you they know the way. Find it yourself. Look within. You know, that's what people need to do is look within themselves because the answers are there in your own heart. But you, you, people get real tripped up on religion. It's a bad word. And it should never be involved in government. Separation of church and state was for a reason. Okay. And you won't get a more heathenistic, unreligious person than Donald Trump. Right. So how he became you know, the poster boy for the modern <laughs> Christian movement, which drives me nuts every anyway. So these guys will go to church on Sunday, consider themselves God fearing in their all white church, you know, racist as hell, get out, go eat a ham, right? On Sunday dinner, that was like a pig grown in a factory farm that was tortured its whole life. You really think Jesus would be into that? I don't. I think Jesus would be a vegetarian if he was walking around right now. He'd be like, y'all motherfuckers are crazy. This is not what I meant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but we don't look, capitalism is the true religion of America anyway. Religion is a business. All these like fundamentalists and stuff, they're making money. Joel mm -hmm. Osteen or whatever the hell his name is, lives in a 70,000 square foot house or 17,000 square foot home, drives a Ferrari. If you're a preacher, drives a Ferrari, find a new church. Trust me, because anybody who truly understands the nature of spirituality does not want a Ferrari. Okay. When you know you could sell that and feed four dozen families for a year, you're not driving that car around. You'll get a used Subaru or something mm -hmm. like, so anybody who's like prosperity, when prosperity gets tied up in this sort of sense of worship, it's a Ponzi scheme. Okay. Yeah. It's no longer a religion and people are susceptible to it because it's delivered through the mechanisms of television and now the internet, it's delivered through the drugs that we've already used to zone out. Somebody who's sitting in a field all day looking at butterflies isn't going to be susceptible to that shit. But somebody who's watching CSI all night, 
you know, and all this other crap and lulled into this sort of hypnotized state. And then on Sunday, a guy comes on and is like, you unhappy with your life? Do you feel like you deserve more? Send us $20 and I'll send you this book and things will get better. Those, yeah. are the, those are the marks. And that's what Trump saw. He saw the marks in American society because he'd already been exploiting them for 40 years. That's what his casinos were. He sent buses to Kentucky and Ohio and all these states, got senior citizens to get on these buses, take a fucking 10-hour ride to Atlantic City and put their social security checks in his slot machines. And then he sent them home broke and did it again at the end of the month. You know, like that's what that guy's based on. So he knew, he knew when Obama got elected, a lot of this country is going to be mad for no other fact than he's brilliant, accomplished, has a beautiful family, is well-educated, and now he has the most powerful job in the world. And there's a big segment of this country that thinks he doesn't deserve that because he's not white. And I'm white and I never got out of Salt Lick, Indiana. You know, how does this fancy guy with his African name get to be president? And I'm sitting here like changing somebody's fucking tires in the cold, right? So Trump knew how to fuel that resentment. He knew that there was like cities where industries had moved out long ago because Reagan gave him a free pass. And we decided that boardrooms were more important than families. Republicans killed this country. They killed the middle class. And then Democrats come and rebuild it. You know, under Clinton, there was no deficit. We had a surplus of money. That's how good Clinton was. The 90s were so prosperous, dude, you could get a job walking down the street in New York City. There were so many jobs. And Bush got into office within a year and a half. We had a massive deficit again, and we were fighting two wars. Why? Because the guy who was really calling shots was Dick Cheney, right? And he represented Halliburton and KBR, Kellogg Brown Root, a company that makes money off of military services and is tied to the petro-industrial industry oil and gas, right? And where were we fighting those wars? There was other bad shit going on in the world at the same time. We didn't go into Bosnia. Do you know what I'm saying? We were in Iraq that had nothing to do with 9-11. Nothing, not a thing, right? But we went there and guys like little Dan Crenshaw suited up and pretend to be heroes and come home and I'm a patriot. The whole thing's a mess. It's a fucking scam. And I'm not dissing on people who do service. I get it. And usually it's, it's usually lower income people who join the service. Let's be honest. It's a way out of your town. It's a way to get some skills. You know what I mean? It's honorable. I'm not saying it's dishonorable, but the ones that exploit it for their own political benefit when they come home, that's dishonorable because no soldier ever fought for the kind of things that Trump stood for. From my great uncle who stormed the beach at Omaha to my two grandfathers who served in World War II intelligence. They didn't do that for a guy like Trump to hand it over to Russian oligarchs. My grandfather, uh, he had five kids by the time he was 30 years old, married his wife uh, before they were 20, and they went to Fort Hood. Uh, he, was, he was in the military at Fort Hood. He hated it because they break you as a man. You know, they get in your face and he didn't like drill sergeants. Uh, and afterwards, he went to work for the Teamsters because he wanted to work for the little guy and provide jobs you know he ended up being the treasurer of uh local 135 here in indianapolis pretty big job uh because of all the you know 465 and all the interconnecting highways that go through here he had to be kind of a union rep for a lot of people so <laughs> i've never been a military guy in my family but uh it stopped being about freedom a long time ago
that's yeah. that's for damn sure yeah and we need military there's no nobody's questioning that you know yeah. but like it's a scam. I just hate when it's exploited. You know, we don't have to rehash it. Trump dodged a draft five fucking times. <laughs> you know what I mean? He punched his son in the face and said he would disown him when Don Jr. said he was going to join the Marines. You know, he punched him in the face, actually, when he didn't have a tie on to go to a basketball or a baseball game, you know, yeah. but they don't serve. You know what I mean? His grandfather got kicked out of Bavaria because he was afraid to serve in the army. That's why he came to the United States. They tried to sneak back to Germany and they wouldn't let him. They said, no, you're done. You know, so See, that should be a deal breaker. That should be a deal breaker right there as POTUS. Like you have family history like that. You're done. There exactly. should be some kind of exemption within the Constitution that like if you find that kind of behavior against the United States or whatever, you're done. Absolutely. Look, if you can't show your records, if you're not <laughs> showing your tax returns, you're not renting an apartment in New York City. But now we get to he gets to be president. You couldn't buy a car. Being like, you know what I mean? You couldn't buy, drive a car off the lot showing the amount of documentation he didn't show and became president. And this is why it can't ever happen again. But now's the time to legislate against this stuff. Now's the time to move. And as a lot of people are saying, we're not doing it fast enough, you know? And thankfully there was some, some movement this week. Deripaska got his big mansion raided next to Kellyanne Conway and George Conway and, you know, those grifters. Like living next door to a Russian billionaire. At one point, Oleg Deripaska was the wealthiest man in Russia. He owned a company called Russell, which is Russian aluminum company, right? One of the main oligarchs, like the oligarch. You're, you're freaking Tom Brady of oligarchs. <laughs> right? And he started buying American politicians a long time ago. He owns Mitch McConnell. He owns Rand Paul. Those were the two guys who got the sanctions lifted at the behest of the White House, you know, after sanctions were put in place when Obama found out Russia was interfering in our election, right? They put all these sanctions on them. And uh, in 2016, and then a couple of years ago, Steven Mnuchin goes up to Capitol Hill and says, hey, we need to lift these sanctions. This guy's a good guy. He's going to build these factories in Kentucky and stuff, these oil, you know, aluminum plants. Lift the uh, sanctions and, and we'll keep an eye on them. That's like <laughs> Trump's going to have a beauty pageant you know, with a bunch of teenage girls and don't worry, it's all under Donald Trump's watchful eye. What could go wrong? You know, it's the same thing. But luckily, my point is like that dude got raided and that means they had some information. You know, they had more than a warrant. They had something they had to talk to the attorney general about. And it probably ties in with some stuff they learned from Tom Barack, who you'll remember got arrested too, you know, or somebody, Lev Parnas, somebody's talking. And I guarantee you, Trump is nervous, you know, mm -hmm. and even more than Trump, Jared and Ivanka are definitely nervous because they're, you know, they're knee deep in all this stuff, too. So hopefully the noose is tightening a little bit and they're squirming, but it's also running out the clock. Right. It's like a sports game. They get to that. You know, the Republicans had a win this week when knocking down the, the voting rights bill, not even letting it be debated. It wasn't even like they voted against it, Jimmy. It couldn't even go to cloture. Like it couldn't even be debated. We're not even going to talk about voting rights, right? So they don't even try to pretend anymore. But so that's a victory for them. If nothing else big happens and we sort of like skate into the midterms, you know, if they were held tomorrow, they'd probably take back more, more seats than we would be comfortable with. And, and, and at that point, it's kind of all over because they're, they're just going to be like, starting to try and impeach Biden and, and, you know, make Trump king and every kind of batshit crazy thing you can think of, you know, 
I'll shut up in a second about the political stuff. But the one point I want to make that I warn people about is like, you know, you see how much damage Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Jim Jordan and these guys are doing. Imagine another 30 of them. Right. Uh, you know, look at that lady in in in. Uh, the red Arizona. dress? No, the lady. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Let's talk <laughs> about the red. I know you liked her, Jimmy. I sent you that video. Well, old, I tweeted about it before. Pig old bitties. That's what we call that. Oh God, get away from me, man! No, no. Oh, no, you didn't like that, Jimmy? No, God, she <laughs> she needs to drive a Ford F one fifty to move around. I don't, I don't need that. No, you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not hopping up in her. Ford F-150. I hear that, man. Yeah, it's, just, it's idiocy. <laughs> well, the even scarier one is there's a woman in Arizona who's running, I think, for governor or something in Arizona. And maybe it's, a, I don't know what, I, I don't, I'm ignorant to her seat. She's got like the stripper name, like Carrie Lake, or <laughs> like weather person, you know, newscaster. And she talks just like that Megan Kelly girl. Like she's got this polished way of speaking, newscaster speak. And then she's just saying that, like, you know, no, Biden didn't win. He didn't get 84 million votes. And she's saying this stuff with a straight face and calm, cool, measured tones that'll be very effective. Saying that kind of propaganda and disinformation in a sort of calm, measured voice plays really well on Fox News and OAN. And it makes the people sitting at home watching it think it's real. You know, it's the opposite tactic of a Matt Gates or a Jim Jordan that just speaks really fast and like, you know, tries to say a bunch of bullshit. And thankfully, Jamie Raskin was just, you know, who was a constitutional scholar. He taught constitutional law for decades. You know, he was a law professor. He's just knocking them down. But it doesn't matter. They say a bunch of fast words real quick. That's sort of the strategy, you know, of the new fascistic right. Right. It's like Ben Shapiro and all these guys who just talk really fast, you know. He's a little dweeb. I don't like Ben Shapiro, but uh, you know, I um, I'm getting kind of exhausted by the process of this whole thing. Like the fact that we even had to vote on Steve Bannon being in contempt, and like, I guess I just want your thoughts on if you're Biden and you're trying to get this agenda passed, how do you overcome politicians being bought, or do you just have to work within the system and get what you can? Unfortunately, you know, he's just sort of has to work within the system, you know, and he's doing it, but we see the results of that. It, the, the bill is already gutted, right? The, the, the Build Back Better plan is already like, you know, that now the child tax credit is down to one year. It was going to be in perpetuity, right? Now it's just a year. And that was one of the most significant pieces of sort of social legislation that we've had in my lifetime. That was going to make lives better for, for children that didn't have much. And I was one of those kids. And my friends were. I know the difference that would have made. And it's good they got it for a year and they'll have to fight for it down the road. But we've already allowed two people, Cinnamon and Man Cinema, Cinema, Cinnamon, whatever the fuck, Lady Footlocker <laughs> and Joe Manchin, right? Yeah. To, to already gut that. They've gut, gutted all the environmental protections. Cinema's not going to be happy with any bill that it includes rescinding the corporate tax break what why does this kirsten cinema from arizona get to like be the champion of trump's tax cuts mm -hmm. and corporations like it's so obvious to people like or to and to me it, it seems anybody what a scam this whole thing is you know and don winslow made a great video about mansion right and all of his children and just what a scam that is you know like west virginia is just a scam 
If you're from a state that that's poor and you're that rich and you've been there that long in government, something's wrong. Like, where's the money going? You're embezzling it, essentially. These guys are embezzlers. And, and Kristen Cinema, Kirsten, whatever the hell her name is, she, she saw she can make a quick buck. She doesn't care about getting reelected. She's going to be a millionaire when she gets out of there and she'll be on Fox News. It'll be like Wacky Saturdays with <laughs> Kirsten Cinema. You know, they can all... They can all move up now because there's such an infrastructure of right-wing media that welcomes all these people. You know, it's a golden parachute like we've never seen. You know, Trump just got all this extra money from this scam financial instrument that some guy in Florida invented. And that's how he's getting all this money to start his new social media platform. Like, it's just insane. It's like the new Dogecoin or all this Bitcoin. Like, there's so many un couth unkosher things happening in the world right now it really is overwhelming jimmy well uh the thing that i <laughs> i saw during the pandemic and up until like six months ago it was all the folks doing like the mary Kay sales you know right. like that's that's all pyramid schemes and stuff trying to sell uh materials like that but i looked up um because oam was talking about biden's going back to delaware again you know like he's traveling back back to home and it's like Trump spent $141 million playing golf during his four years. You know, if Biden wants to go home every weekend to Delaware, we can take him there. Okay. Like we spent more money on, on Trump playing golf and cheating at golf than we should have spent, you know, doing something else. We could have put that money towards something else. Right. Do you know how close Delaware is to Washington, D.C., Jimmy? How close is it? It's like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's not even that far. <laughs> right. It's not, you know, he used to go home every night on a train from Capitol Hill. Yeah. Okay. When his wife was killed in a car accident and he had to raise his sons alone, a single father dealing with grief. He had to leave Capitol Hill every night, get on a train and go back to Delaware. It's a commutable distance. Okay. And he's just going back there to get away for the weekend. Trump was stealing money from US taxpayers and putting it in his secret service, not to mention, you know, and, and overcharging and overtaxing the secret service in terms of work, and then just stealing taxpayer dollars because they'd have to rent hotel rooms. He would fly to Mar-a-Lago on Air Force One. You know how many, how much jet fuel, you know, that uses? Do you know what the carbon footprint to put Trump, his fat ass, Melania would barely go. She'd be seeing Hank up in New York City. So she'd have her own detail going up there to get a little, you know, get her some on the weekends. Trump would go down there to get the Trumpettes. You know, it's the other reason Trump needed to be in his clubs because he wants to do side deals with no microphones and cameras around, right? He wants little Lindsey Graham to get in the golf course so he can remind him what he's got to do next. He wants to just like switch to the cocaine on the weekend down there in Miami. Adderall will get you through the day. Right. But cocaine will get you off. That's his party time drug. Right. You know, Don Jr. was walking around with an eight ball in his pocket for four freaking years in Secret Service protection. And he had no consequences. You don't think the Secret Service guys knew he was coked out of his mind. Do you know what I'm saying? We were paying for that. We were paying for Tiffany Trump to go shopping on Worth Drive in Palm Beach. I worked on Celebrity Apprentice taking care of the Trump family, Jimmy. I didn't even know there was a Tiffany Trump until the election, okay? <laughs> she wasn't allowed anywhere near Celebrity Apprentice because she was fugly, right? In Trump's words, she was ugly. Same with Eric. Like, he barely saw Eric on that thing. He barely <laughs> taught her, taught, he hates Don Jr., you know? I don't want to go off on him, but it's just, they're, they're all scammers. 
They've always been scammers. The people that work for them are scammers. You know, some of them are getting on the other side of the scam now, but like anybody who's like, oh, I want to work for Donald Trump. And people think I, I didn't work for Donald Trump. Okay. I worked for the production. I worked in TV production, like a million other shows that happen at, on the three networks that I would get hired to go do live events for. And that's the only reason I ended up there. I would never consciously be like, oh, I want to work for Donald Trump. You know, even the beauty pageants, it's a production coordinator hires you, right. not the freaking family. But anyway, it's all a scam. Let's talk about something else, Jimmy. You're watching the, uh, you watch Jimmy. Jimmy's never listened to or watched uh, Secession, folks. Yeah, I'm getting into that a little bit. Um, I, I'm I'm in the middle of several shows right now. I'm I'm right in the middle of ER. I like that show a lot. I was a big fan of uh, the first five seasons, which George Clooney is on because George Clooney's the man. Um, but I like Secession a lot. The uh, the shorter brother that's kind of funny. I like him. Yeah. Um, I don't have the names down yet, but uh, his name's Kieran Culkin. He's Macaulay Culkin's little brother. Now I can see the resemblance. I, yeah. I, I get that, but um, very it's beautifully shot. I, I like the cinematography. Really interesting shots and uh, great actors. You know, good good cast. Well cast show. Wonderful actors, man. Great, yeah. the best show on television by by far. You know, it's fantastic. And very the good. third season just premiered last week, I think. I know, and it was incredible. It was so good. I won't give any spoilers to our listeners, but it was a great, it's a great show. And uh, so that's cool. Yeah, you like George Clooney, huh? I'm a big George Clooney fan, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to tell some George Clooney stories then. I George is a great guy, and I got to work on the, we did it. George organized a big benefit for Haiti after this horrible earthquake they had in 2010, and we did a big benefit uh, I think on both LA and New York, I worked on the New York side and we had like Sting and the Roots and like all these, you know, great bands performing and we raised a lot of money. But the first time I ever met George Clooney, I was standing in a green room at Radio City Music Hall. It might've been the Grammys or something like that. And uh, we had this green room down in the lobby, which was unusual to have one. Anybody who's listening and knows Radio City, there's a lot of room backstage, but like we did it in the front of the house, like downstairs in the lobby behind this pipe and drape kind of situation. And I'm standing there with George Clooney and Tommy Hilfiger. And in those days, Madonna used to have a woman that would walk in front of her and she'd be like, Madonna's coming through. Turn your head and don't look at her <laughs> like really mean Madonna. Like I've worked with Madonna a bunch. You got to like bring her up in a private elevator and you don't let anyone else near her. It's one of those Tom Cruise type things, you know, like <laughs> look him in the eye, just bullshit. Right. And uh, and I know people love Madonna. I'm not dissing on Madonna. That's how she rolls. OK, <laughs> she's in the pain in the ass. Right. So anyway. I'm standing there and this lady comes through like Madonna's coming through, turn your head and don't look at her. Right. And like George Clooney looks at me and kind of raises his eyebrows, you know? And I said, dude, well, if you can't look at her, I sure can't look at her, you know? And he goes, dude, let's eyeball her. And he comes down to my height. Right. And she walks <laughs> by and we just like stare at her as she goes by. And then we're like high fiving each other, you know? And that's how he is. He's a cool guy. You know, he's the biggest movie star in the world and can take a joke. Do you know what I'm saying? He's yeah. a natural prankster, you know, and he's just a real guy. He grew up in Kentucky, like, right. He grew up poor. He had to work. He was selling like typewriters door to door or something, <laughs> vacuum cleaners or something, you know, and he was around forever until he was in ER and got his big break. He was on a show that they was supposed to take place in Peekskill, which is near me, but it was a show, I think it was called Facts of Life. 
And uh, he was a, he was like a regular guy on Facts of Life in the 80s when I was watching the show when I was a kid, Jimmy. So, he, you know, he's a guy who knows how lucky he is and he uses his platform. And there's probably nobody that scares Jim Jordan more than George Clooney, because he's going to come <laughs> out. He's going to come out with a documentary about what that what what, what went down there in Ohio. Yeah. And man, that's going to be the end of Jim Jordan. I'm surprised he's not already hightailing it out of there. You well, know? and I'll tell you, man, um, the NBA tipped off uh, the other night. And uh, boy, I hope LeBron runs for Congress or something, because uh, he had a great black suit on for the opening night, man. Looked like Bruce Wayne. And that was kind of his uh, his caption, you know, uh, LeBron Wayne or whatever he said. That's funny. Uh, yeah, you sent me that pick. LeBron's my favorite athlete. I mean, he's such a good guy, you know, and he just does things. I've talked about it on this show before. I started crying when I was sitting in Cleveland one time next to my hotel. I was staying at the Ritz Carlton. And uh, this is where you stay when you're in Cleveland, right? You stay there too, right, Jimmy? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So you stay at the Ritz. There's only like two places to stay in Cleveland. <laughs> like when you go there <laughs> with a band, you stay at the Ritz or you stay at this other hotel when you're doing like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame things. And, I was there for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, some kind of thing. And uh, there's like a hard rock cafe next door. And I went down, I was like reading the newspaper and eating like whatever you eat in a hard rock cafe, right? Like a, some horrible thing, a burger or something, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> something I shouldn't have been eating. And, uh, and I'm not eating now. But anyway, uh, when you're on the road, that's the other thing, Jimmy, you try to be a vegan and a vegetarian and you tour in America and it's really hard to eat healthy because America doesn't eat that healthy. There's hip kind of like places in every town, you know, there's sort of the crunchy, like alternative, you know, cool side of town everywhere. That's not where you stay when you're on tour with a band. Okay. You stay in the center of town. You usually stay where like all the office buildings are and they're usually closed, right? Cause you're usually there on a weekend or something. Right. So you're always in like, you know, you have no choices to eat. And uh, so you you end up eating in a tilted quilt or something like that. Kilt. You know, like one of, they have theme, like misogynistic theme restaurants in America. And uh, anyway, you eat in one of these places, it's hard to eat healthy. So as long as I was a vegetarian and vegan, like I would slip up on the road. Anyway, that's not my point, but I'm sitting there reading this article about, I think I've told this story before on the show about his foundation, you know, and he's trying to get kids to improve in school and he would have all these like incentives, you know, he'd give you a bike and then he'd give you like time at a summer camp, like a vacation and stuff. And the beautiful thing that he realized is he would include the kids' parents too, right? So your mom got to go too, because he understood the strength of the family. It wasn't just like this old attitude of like, you know, we're going to go into the hood, so to speak, and help out the kids, you know, and take the kids out of there and leave the parents behind. He's treating the whole patient as it will. And I'm not saying these folks are patients. I'm just saying it in a holistic sense, he's trying to improve and enrich his community in a way that's like sharing the wealth and, and, and helping, you know, mothers and, and sons and daughters and fathers build memories together. You know, that's the reward. You're not just going to get a new shiny bike. You're going to make your mom happy too, right? You're going to give your mom a vacation. You're going to get out of there and get, you know, some fresh air and hang out with your mom for a week. Like when I read that he was that spiritually connected, that he understood it to that level, I started crying, like right there reading the article, because I was like, this guy is the bomb, like he gets it, you know, and he's a natural leader, obviously, he's one of the greatest athletes you'll ever see. My favorite basketball player, I'm not into sports, I ain't even going to pretend, 
even though I did all that all-star game and all that shit. I don't know anything about sports, but I know that guy's the real deal. No, he's, uh, he's absolutely fantastic. And anybody who's lucky enough to get the opportunity to go to the I Promise School and they graduate, they get an opportunity to go to the University of Akron free of cost. Their parents, when they're in the surrounding community, they get access to job training. Like LeBron understands at this point, we need problem solving at a holistic level, as you said before. Um, and he understands too, you know, he had a high school education. He didn't have college basketball or a college coach to guide him. It, Michael Jordan had Dean Smith and Phil Jackson, two of the best coaches in the history of basketball. LeBron, not so much. He's pretty much kind of handled the organization wherever he plays, you know, and he's kicked the Pacers ass the last decade. So he'll continue to do so uh, into year 20. He's in the year 19 this year. So he's been in 19 years. 2003 man that was his opening year so it's it's crazy to like because i've been playing video games for that long you look at the graphics from like 2003 to 2021 to see the transformation of lebron from a kid to a grown adult now it's it's kind of cool we got to see him grow up a little bit yeah well he's definitely a grown-ass man now you know <laughs> yeah. king 37 oh so. good for him man more power to him is you know i can't wait to see what's next you know what the second act is for a guy like that so good. We need more LeBron Jameses and we need more for every horrible person that we talk about on this show. You know, there's a lot of good people. The good people aren't on the spot in the spotlight because they do it kind of with humility. LeBron's in a, in a game, you know, where he's on the court of an arena. So obviously he's in the spotlight, but uh, I guarantee you, he knows a bunch of heroes in Akron and, you know, that are helping out in ways that, uh, you know, we don't get to talk about. And those are the real heroes. Those are the people that make a difference, you know, and so shout out to all those folks. You know who you are. If any of you listen, and I know some of you do, because some of you guys came up to me after the last show and you said, I'm a teacher. And I said, you're the hero then. That's the, you know, let me take a picture with you. So, you know, that's who we want to honor. And uh, I'm doing another show. November 18th, Wall Street Theater in Norwalk, Connecticut is going to be lit. Come on out. Tell a friend, please. It's going to be a really good show. It's a Thursday night, November 18th. We'd love to see you there. I'll also be in New York City at the Iridium on December 22nd, which is a phenomenal jazz club. Oh, I still got to tell that story about Slash and the cigarette. I'll tell it next time because we've been on for a while, Jimmy. Keep them hanging on. But that's a, you know, when we get closer to the date, I'll tell that story. Remind me. You know, we'll keep teasing it in the meantime. Yeah, exactly. And Les Paul, I got to meet Les Paul. He was a wonderful guy. And uh, I'll tell the story of the auction of Black Beauty, his original Les Paul that he built too, like the prototype Les Paul. I was there. Oh, I told that story. Jim Irsay is All the right. guy who ended up buying it. Now he's sitting there and when they were bidding on it and stuff. So I'll tell that story again too. But anyway, uh, that's it, folks. That's episode 34 of the Noel mm -hmm. Kassler podcast. And uh, Jimmy's got his own podcast. He told you about the top of the show. He's about to hit you with the deets right now. Again, take yeah. it, Jimmy. JBKonair.com. Uh, you can get the podcast anywhere that you get your podcast. Just search my initials, J-B-K-O-N-A-I-R, and you'll find it. Thanks, guys. And thanks for listening again. Thanks, all you guys who came out. You know, hit me up. If, if you're listening to this and you came to the show and Rams had let me know. Because I loved meeting you. There were so many people there. It was hard to connect with everybody. But thank you all. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Be well and be safe. We love you. Peace.